Hello and welcome to another episode of the Races Formula E podcast with me and your host, Andrew Vanderberg. This week we welcome one of the driving forces behind the ABB FIA Formula E Championship, Alberto Longo. Along with Alejandro Adag, Longo has been one of the linchpins of the All-Electric Series since day one as its co-founder, deputy CEO and chief championship officer. After a career in private banking, he made the jump to professional motorsport in 2007 as the co-owner of the Adax GP2 team, where he and Agag tasted success by taking a 2011 team's title with drivers Charles Peake and Guido van der Garde. By 2012, Longo was already working with Agag on the formation of the FIA Formula E Championship and has been crucial to its success and in several key aspects of its operation, including the all-important calendar. Longo has presided over and managed the team which has brought some remarkable city to the calendar, including New York, Paris, London and Hong Kong. As ever, I'm joined for this episode by a man in the Formula E paddock, Sam Smith. Sam, undoubtedly Alberto has been a key part of Formula E uh, and is a great guest to talk us through this challenging period uh, in terms of the calendar. So what are your thoughts on uh, the situation the Championship has found itself in during this uh, pandemic? Well, hi everyone. I think first of all, it's it's a bigger picture thing. It's hard to gauge because everything with these circumstances is just so extreme and completely exceptional. I think every championship and indeed every business will have crisis management plans to some extent, but I don't doubt very few have a basic plan to deal with a global pandemic, the like of which we've not seen for almost a century. So, from Formula E standpoint, I think it's it's pretty clear that they have acted decisively and to the best of their ability in the circumstances. I remember actually speaking to Alberto in Santiago back in January when this was all starting to happen in, in China. And but, but actually, the main talking point back then was the security of the Santiago race, which faced its own own problems, as, as you know, and was uh, ran very successfully. So it shows you how fast-paced things have become. I think the more existential picture, really, for Formula E is clearly if it will be forced to adapt to running at at non-city centre races in the future. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But I think as we stand now, we saw last week with the, the calendar announcement, Rome, Paris, London and Seoul are in that calendar. So that's a positive sign. But there is some some part of it not not knowing what we can do. I think we just hope that things can uh, can get better quickly um, and be controlled effectively, primarily, of course, for health reasons, but but business, social and, and sporting reasons as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Alberto, a very warm welcome to our podcast. And first of all, I mean, how excited are you to be finally going back racing after this long break? Well, um, uh, hello, everyone. We're super excited. I mean, uh, after after this long break... Uh, Coming back racing was kind of is kind of a dream come true. Uh, we have been working night uh, day and night uh, during these um, uh, 96, 97 days. Uh, we have kept uh, all the options open until the very last minute. And when we uh, made sure that it was completely safe uh, to go back racing, then we made the, the announcement of this fantastic uh, week of races in in Berlin, which we're gonna have. Uh, as many as six different races in uh, in nine days, which is something unique. And uh, you you guys know that we like to do unique things, and this is uh, only one more. And how hard has it been? Because for most of the other championships, they were just delayed in starting. But for Formula E, you were delayed mid-season. How difficult a period has this been for you and the team? Well, it has been extraordinarily difficult. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying this is because um, the, the virus has not uh, behaved equally 
uh, worldwide. So we were we were looking into different uh, regions, into different countries, and uh, obviously we we had some some races to go for Asia, some more races in Europe, some more races in America, and uh, and depending on the day that you <laughs> that you were basically talking, uh, you could you could find com- completely different answers, you know, to your questions, you know, and, and to who were you talking to. And in reality, keeping all these options uh, completely open until the very last minute has been quite challenging for the whole team. Um, I have to say that I find quite efficient uh, this kind of remote working uh, because the people has been really, really focused. And uh, and I, I I don't see how we could have done it better, to be completely honest, uh, in terms of having all these options alive and then decided for the best one, which, uh, yeah, by far was was Berlin for sure. Uh, what was it that that swung everything in Berlin's favor? Well, especially the commitment from the uh, from the government. I, I think they have set up uh, a very clear rules from the beginning, um, because obviously the the, the main um, the main conflict, the main uh, challenge that we were all facing was the traveling, so all the travel restrictions, and and they have been very uh, precise on when were they going to open and what was going to be needed in order to get a permit uh, to do um, to do any type of event there. So I think we were following um, the guidelines of the local government um, yeah, since, I would say, 60 days ago. And uh, they have been quite certain. In other countries, there has been more, let's say, <laughs> more moving thoughts, you know, and, and, and the people was not ready to commit for anything. And um, uh, yeah, in general, I can say that that Berlin and Germany has been very straight from the beginning. If you do this, you will be allowed to do to to do the race. Obviously, there are certain limitations. The first one is is, is probably um, the, the event cannot be um, more than one thousand people, and usually we're an ecosystem close to five thousand people. So everybody has done a tremendous effort, uh, you know, in uh, in reducing um, their their resources, you know, to the human resources to uh, to deliver the race. But uh, yeah, those are basically why are we racing in Berlin. I think that the seriousness and the professionalism and the commitment uh, from the government in order to uh, to host events. How easy was it to persuade the broadcasters, the teams, and the partners that this was the way that the season should conclude? Well, I think what again we need to look into being responsible here. And uh, the biggest challenge here, the biggest risk that we have is to travel. So the more we avoid the traveling, the more we mitigate the, the, the risk of any, uh, obviously, any person who could potentially get infected. And and also, right after that, if someone gets infected, that means that the, the event, that one or the following one could get cancelled. So we are all under, obviously, uh, contracts, you know, with the sponsors, with the media, with uh, with a lot of uh, stakeholders. And we just needed to do races. So let's try to find what we tried is to find the most responsible way um, to resume the calendar. We were lucky enough that we have already done five races at the beginning of the season before COVID. And, and we were just looking for these six to seven, five to seven races um, to, uh, yeah, to, to crown our champion. And, uh, and to be honest, I, I, I have full confidence on, on, on my ecosystem, on, on my teams, on my manufacturers, on the media partners. We are all, I feel like we're all rowing in the same direction. And uh, the minute I, I put on the table this idea, they, they were fully committed and they all agree with us on, on yeah, on that was the best way possible to come back racing.
Uh, Sam, what, what are your thoughts on uh, having all these races in uh, Tempelhof? Well, it's, I mean, it's not a perfect venue, but it's as good as you can get, I think, because of it's so amenable. You know, you can change the configurations. It's quite, um, it's not simple, of course, but it's easier than other places to get people in and out of. And, and um, Alberta mentioned that thousand limit there. It ticks a number of boxes, but the, the neatest one, I guess, is the fact that it's in Germany and we have four German giants among us now which is uh you know a nice way of of wrapping it up but of course the facility itself is is remarkable i remember going there in 2014 and it it casts a kind of weird spell on you when you're there because it shouldn't really work it's it's concrete it's massive hangars it's got a a very you know a very remarkable history to it but it, it just works as a venue i think it uh it's very atmospheric practically it makes absolute sense uh, to have a kind of residency for Formula E there. And I think actually it will provide a, a terrific kind of festival for the end of this season, which is, has been extraordinarily difficult, as we've as we've said already. I'm 100% sure Formula, Formula E will make it a great TV spectacle because they, they always do. It's, some, it's their forte. They're very strong at doing that. The one thing I'd like to see is something special or radical um, within the meeting, within those three separate meetings, maybe a, a reverse circuit or, I don't know, an artificially wet race, if it's possible. I don't know if it is. But I do think that it's um, it's something which will really uh, get people's attention there. So uh, how about it, Albert? Are we, are we going to get something like that? Um, what are we looking at for the different, to make the events distinct in, in their own way? Well, I, I, I basically I cannot tell you exactly what are we thinking because, um, as you will know as well, we uh, we, uh, we we like to to have all the teams like uh, parity and equality and and being uh, all of them able to to win any any race. So the more we say about what are our plans in terms of the track, the more the teams will start simulating, <laughs> and then the more uh, the less surprise factor that they will have. So. Eventually, yeah, we're considering doing special things, you know, with uh, with probably three different layouts of track in in uh, in the three double headers. And uh, and but I again, I cannot tell you much because then then the teams will listen and then they will start monitoring and <laughs> which is what we want to avoid in order to uh, yeah to keep the parity in terms of winning. Yeah, I mean, is that a bit st- step too far because you've got so many different things to to sort out if you're going to go the other way around the track. Yeah, well, it's not only that. There's a, again, there are, there's many things that we're thinking about, you know, And uh, but, but again, I prefer not to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and I hope you guys can understand. Uh, I think it's going to be a massive, uh, success, a massive, a massive uh, show, which is what we want to keep bringing to to our fans. And uh, and uh, yeah, the more we talk about it, the the, the less surprises will be. Sam, so, um, it's going to be a big challenge for the teams uh, running so many races in such a short period of time. What have they been saying to you about the, how hard that's going to be for them? You know, six races in nine days. Well, they've been they've been saying they need to know like Alberto says, but uh, no, I think, you know, everyone understands the fact. And actually, I think for the fan watching at home, the less information that the teams get, the, the better, because, it you know, parity is, is everything. So, you know, we don't like to see too much simulation. We don't like to see too much um, engineers helping the drivers. Uh, so I think actually it should be a pretty good leveller. Um, massive challenge, though, for them. It, it, it often amuses me that some F1 people complain about you know three races back to back three weeks or whatever former will be doing half a season in nine days i mean that's that's pretty astonishing and, and and absolutely extraordinary honestly they have my absolute admiration for 
what they're going to do because it's massively demanding. They've only got 20 operational staff, including the drivers. So they're going to have to be extremely well, um, extremely well organised and very committed to, to get uh, the best out of their teams. I think then you have the different configurations to take into account and limited knowledge ahead of it, as we've said, will, will be a great leveller. It'll test every aspect of the teams. Who's the most organised? Who's the most efficient? If that were not enough, then we have two title fights, don't we? We've got drivers and teams as well. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a sensational way to end the season. Um, looking forward past then, Alberto, the season seven calendar was released recently. I guess for most of us, the biggest surprise was that Riyadh isn't the season opener. Can you just explain um, how that came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the Minister of Sports in Riyadh called me uh, the week before we were going to announce the calendar. He asked me to um, to see if we could find a different slot that December. Uh, and the reason why is is very easy. He he was just um, uh, he didn't want to have any international event in 2020. You know, in in their country, obviously, as you well know, uh, Saudi is under big threat uh, for the coronavirus, yeah, and uh, and they wanted to basically leave uh, the 2020 free of any international event. Uh, as you will know as well, we have um, a little bit of room in the in the period of the time in which in, in between January and March because we only do one race every month. So it was uh, pretty easy to find a, a different slot. And obviously what I what we did is put it very close to Sanya. So logistically speaking, make all sense. Uh, and we uh, we will just do two races in um, Middle East and Asia, you know, in, in, that, uh, in that month. Well, one is the 29th of February or 28th of February, and, and the other one is the 15th of uh, March. But um, yeah, definitely that's why we uh, we decided to put it into that uh, into that slot. Nothing else than just COVID protection and being responsible with uh, with our people and our ecosystem as well. Well, hopefully it'll be a bit warmer and drier than it was last year. <laughs> well, believe it or not, it's quite funny that we're talking about a dry race in, in, in Riyadh where we're literally only rains like two days a year uh, but unfortunately in the last two seasons we we've got some of the of that two days but uh, yeah hopefully it will, it will even be better and uh, less chances to um, to have um, to have some talks to be honest, again quite funny <laughs> that we have um uh, yeah that that in Riyadh we we find for the first time in our history after five years uh, we we find some some drops you know we we uh, as you know we have always had all the races that we have had are, have been under dry condition and uh, the first one in the history that we ever had some drops was in Riyadh which is the place in, on earth probably that uh, never rains or very very rarely rains. Oh, it was unbelievable. You would never have taken odds on that being the place where there was a wet race. Not, not a chance. Um, Sam, next year, obviously, the championship becomes a world championship for the first time. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people have considered it a world championship for a while. But what does that actually mean as a milestone for the series? Yeah, a huge milestone for Formula E to become an official world championship. As you say, I think everybody recognises it really as a world championship. It goes to, it goes to um, all the continents it needs to go to, and has, a, has a, had a varied calendar. Um, it you know brings status, doesn't it? It brings status for the teams, for their partners, uh, for television. It'll open up doors for uh, the manufacturers as well. Obviously, a driver and a team being crowned as a world champion is is significant there aren't that many uh, at full FIA status so it's a, it's a big year and you know to start it in Santiago a very popular 
destination, great track, nice setting in the O'Higgins Park. Everyone loves going to to South America and, and Santiago these last couple of years. So there's a nice balance to it. It's quite compact. So starts in January, ends with obviously the what will be the first London race at Accelerina at the end of July. Um, got some old favourites in there with uh, with the likes of Monaco, and then we've got this uh, what what is going to be the sort of uh, the new jewel in the crown, I guess, with, with Seoul, which is going to take place in May as well. There'll be effectively two Asian legs with Sanya taking place in March. It's, it's, it's a well-balanced car- uh, calendar. I just, you know, going back to my previous point, the big hope is that we can have these genuine street circuit races at, at Paris, the likes of Paris, Rome and New York and, and Seoul as well, and, and that they can take place with, with full crowds because that's going to be the measure of the championship and, 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 you know, that's one of the key reasons, obviously, that all the manufacturers have been uh, attracted to Formula E in the first place. Alberto, you mentioned that the Saudi race had moved because of COVID. Do you have a plan B, C, D in case the situation hasn't resolved by 2021? Well, we have plan from, from A to Z, uh, and this is exactly the situation that we have been in these uh, 90, 96 days. I mean, it's something, it's, if there is something that we have learned out of the COVID is that we, we need to get ready for almost anything. In reality, if uh, the COVID situation gets worse and there is an, a second wave, obviously, uh, as Sam was mentioning, um, races in the, in the heart of the cities is going to be challenging. Um, so, so basically, we will be looking, obviously, to go to, uh, to permanent facilities, to permanent tracks, uh, you know, in order to, to bank as many races as possible. We do have, I mean, there are some quite, quite a few surprises that is not in the calendar, you know, and we always have uh, more or less one per region, you know, like and, and like Punta del Este, people, uh, countries and cities are really always ready for us to 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 go and race there. And um, and if uh, we need them, uh, we always know that uh, they will be very supportive of um, of hosting a, an event of Formula E. So so yeah, definitely there there is always plans. But but again, uh, you cannot make a lot of plans without knowing exactly what is going to be the affection of uh, of the of the COVID or any other thing. Uh, because this time was the the travel disruption, but the next time can be almost anything else, you know. And and uh, yeah, we are we're fully ready. We have um, quite a few permanent tracks and, and and tracks, you know, and 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 even some urban tracks as well that are ready to jump into the calendar within uh, eight to nine weeks of notice. There's um one TBC on the calendar that was released. Uh, obviously, Jakarta was supposed to take place this year. Is is that in the running to, to take that slot? Well, TBC, TBC, you know, is uh, to be confirmed. So we have, um, we're negotiating with uh, with a few um, with a few cities that were not ready because of the COVID situation. Again, to, to announce it now in uh, in in June, uh, they have asked us to to uh, postpone that decision to to the World Motorsport Council in October. And um, basically, we have agreed with them. So so there are quite a few cities and. Um, and uh, Jakarta is one of them, obviously, and we will be pleased to uh, to go there. But it's obviously their their decision at the moment. So, and one of the great bits of gossip that always does the round in the Formula E paddock is cities that might be coming up. So, you know, what have you heard that might be on there? Maybe we can get Alberto to confirm more than a couple of those. <laughs> well, it, you know, the great thing about Formula E is there's there's always a, a city interested in it. You know, you hear rumours and speculation about so many, and and actually, in my time in covering. 
Formula E, it's almost you know you're you're almost um, inclined not to report them because you unless they've got proper feasibility studies and um, you know the delegation from Formula E and uh, have been there, then it's 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 kind of just sometimes it's it's hot air. You know we've we've heard about the likes of uh, Toronto, Houston, Auckland, Adelaide, um, where else? Birmingham, Rio. Uh, even Dublin, remember that one? That was an interesting one in, in Ireland. Uh, so yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting. I think the ones that the ones that are really uh, really uh, fascinating, I think, for the future and, and could happen. I think, and I think Formula E very much want them to happen. A, a Shanghai is an obvious one. It's like a probably in the Holy Grail category. I think Alberto will agree. Yokohama is an interesting one because it would be the first Japanese E-Pri and obviously Nissan are based in Yokohama, Tokyo. They've had demonstrations there. I remember Lucas having a demo in his Audi on the streets of Tokyo. Cape Town we know about um, and, and the potential of Cape Town in the future. Uh, the latest one I'm hearing about is um, maybe a second US race race. Uh, Atlanta seems to be keen, but of course, you know, you don't really know if 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 there's a strong foundation to these uh, these claims and these um, these these plans that some cities want to put in place. But uh, I guess there's only one man who knows and can can comment on some of those, and that's uh, that's our guest today. I hope, I hope you guys don't, are not going to ask me precisely uh, to tell you uh, the, the plans of Formula A for the future in terms of uh, cities, but uh, the. Um, the reality is that we have over 100 cities in in, um, uh, in hosting an event of Formula E. Uh, at the moment, uh, we are we are literally uh, in active negotiation with 26 cities uh, around the world. Uh, out of these 26 cities, we will uh, nominate uh, hopefully five to six to seven uh, candidate cities, and and uh, in the process works in a way that they they first send a letter of interest. A, a letter of then uh, they sign what we call a feasibility study. It's, it's for our technical people and FIA to travel to their city and see the viability of the track. Um, and after that, we, we get into the commercial discussion with the, with the city or promoter. Um, so hopefully uh, in the next, I would say, three to six months, we will have, um, I would say, four to six uh, candidate cities and, uh, and, and then our board Together with the FIA, we will decide what will be uh, the calendar for season uh, for season eight. Most uh, of the names that you have mentioned, there are either on the 100 cities that they are they have certain interest, or even on the 26 cities that we are in negotiation with them. So um, again, the interest is there 100%. Is uh, I feel so proud of by saying this because uh, in reality, one of the biggest cities in the world, they are all willing uh, to have a or to host a formula event and um, and now let's see as you said japan is a very important for us brazil very important china a, a tier one city in china very important for us as well but there are many many others we say no to anyone uh, which is the the most important thing and um, and yeah we have a a, a a full team just dedicated to uh, to the candidate cities and uh, it's, it's a team of three of three people and they are traveling literally long. So, um, yeah, I cannot tell you exactly <laughs> the, the name of the cities, but, uh, yeah, we have a very, very strong pipeline for sure for the future. Alberto, can I just ask, with the, the present situation and then the fallout and hopefully getting back to some kind of normality, do you see it – how do you see society kind of reacting to – uh, big arenas or big gatherings. Do you think eventually the 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 
the, the fear or whatever you want to call it will dissipate and and sports will go back to uh, a similar way that they were beforehand or, or do you think it'll be a gradual process I think it's going to be a gradual process I think I think the people is is scared at the moment and we need to um, to uh, to play with that to to fight against that um, uh, the, the an event as we knew uh, the events that were happening pre-covid uh, is I think it's gonna take um, it's gonna take 12 months to to, uh, to be back, you know, and, and and having exactly the same type of standards that we were uh, having before COVID. But uh, at the same time, the people is willing to uh, to enjoy, is is willing to have fun, is willing to forget about the, the, the what has happened, you know. So uh, that plays in, in in the favor of all the promoters of different uh, of different events, different concerts, and and uh, and and hopefully little by little, you know, we will we will get there. Obviously. Uh, having um, COVID protocols is so important to give the people the confidence that you're really thinking on on how to to be responsible and how to be um, uh, a championship or an event that really takes care of the people attending. I think that's key, and uh, and this is precisely why I think we we we, we have done uh, really well, you know, for for Berlin, uh, talking to the local authorities and having these kind of ten golden rules that absolutely everyone needs to uh, to follow and um, they are quite strict but at the same time it gives the ecosystem uh, the confidence uh, to um, yeah to be to be doing events because otherwise the people will just would just be scared you know of of, of doing this um, massive gathering together and um, yeah hopefully well, i mean we're talking in berlin only 1000 people um, 100% of these 100 1000 people are staff so it's people who are basically <laughs> putting up the, the, the event together, or uh, they are teams of manufacturers, obviously. But uh, in the future, we, we have already heard, like even in Germany, uh, probably uh, after August, there will be events allowed uh, up to 5,000 people. So again, little by little, everything is going to uh, reopen. Hopefully, there is not a, a strong or, or none at all a second wave of, of COVID. And then um, again, step by step, everything will go back to normality. Alberto, at the beginning of lockdown, there was a feeling that people were enjoying the roads being quieter, there being less pollution in the air, you know, that sort of slowing of pace uh, of life and maybe taking a, a greener, more sustainable outlook. Have you felt formally benefiting from that? Has, has there been like an increase in interest, uh, I think, in more of a corporate level? As a result of that, well, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, I think there is a lot. Uh, there has been uh, a lot of sayings about this, and and uh, Formula E is the, the one and only platform that promotes uh, electromobility, and 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 absolutely, um, that's why I'm saying the, the the pipeline that we have in the cities, we have a very strong uh, pipeline in 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 sponsors as well, and um, and in general, the, the public. I mean, they 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 just they just like to have green properties around, you know, and 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 we're one of them. So yeah, definitely this uh, this whole situation has uh, I would say benefit like uh, on the euro, but uh, benefit on the perception. Now uh, th- the makeup of the uh, the team at Formula has changed quite a lot since the days when I used to work there, and obviously with Alejandro moving his efforts towards extreme E, and been a few changes over the time. How has how the, the new setup dealt with the uh, this massive problem that was given them? It's been a real test of character, I imagine, of the 
the new team. Yeah, absolutely. We have survived this with all these changes, and at the same time, the COVID. Uh, believe me, we are stronger than ever. <laughs> so I, I feel um, super happy, super proud of the team that Jamie is putting uh, together. I think we are hiding um, a fantastic team that is gonna make us uh, just grow and grow and grow. So uh, yeah, I have I have nothing to say. Again, it's it's really important that. Uh, that we have put a complete new team under a lot of stress, you know, and uh, and and we are out there. And <laughs> the contrary that the, what the people would think, we are again much stronger than what we were even before COVID. So I, I think we have a great product uh, with the, with the great people, the one that was in in Formula E and the one that is now in Formula E. We have all um, we have all support the growth of uh, of Formula E, and uh, we're in a great position. Some um, formerly uh, got a lot of plaudits for the way they reacted quickly with the uh, postponement of Gen 2.5. Where do you think we are in terms of Gen 3 now? Um, well, I think in terms of in terms of Formula E, it's it's obviously quite a young uh, business, a young a young championship. You know, it's only its sixth season. I think initially it showed a great deal of um, it was very adept in terms of how it handled it halfway through the season you know we we saw what happened with formula 1 in in melbourne which was um less stellar let's say but i i think formula e led the way in in many respects in terms of clear decisions and and then having this flag system which was which was pretty cute actually to have that yellow uh red and green flag system that they had i think in terms of the future um obviously the future isn't quite as solid for everyone at the moment there's a lot of adapting to be done but what i'd say is this is that formula e uh, survived that first season against all odds and i think if you can survive in international motorsport through a first season with a completely new concept then you can survive almost anything in a way yeah i think this is like we said all along this is extreme circumstances but they, they have a great deal of um a great deal of strength in depth with the manufacturers involved now you know we've got we've got um some a really strong foundation in terms of the rules and where it's going with gen 3 which we're going to le- learn about more in the coming days um so even though we're not racing at the moment and that we're going to end the season with these six races in nine days. There's then this quite big gap to the first world championship season. I think actually Formula E is in a in as a stronger position as it can be, and and I think there's a lot to look forward to. You know, not just the world championship season, but just the growth of the championship because I think people are actually were, were quite skeptical when many manufacturers came in thinking that they would you know fight against each other and the costs would go through the roof you know what i'm hearing is for gen 3 that there'll be more cost cutting uh, measures you know things things that aren't particularly sexy like you know drive shaft torque sensors and so forth but of course for the for the for the accounts departments and manufacturers it's you know it's 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 good because it just keeps a lid on those costs keeps it sustainable in in all shapes and senses of the word so i think actually the way that it's been built up with um full credit going to formula e, formula e operations and, and and the fia as well i mean they people underestimate how much formula e means to the fia and how much they want to nurture it and progress it further so yeah there's um there's there is there is a lot of challenges that's for sure but i think the bigger picture is that formula e is in is in reasonable shape going forward alberto must feel like a very long time ago season one and you know some of those uh, fraught moments that we would have gone through. I'm thinking 
Miami in particular? I mean, can you look back and, and, and smile and laugh about it now? One hundred percent. I mean, um, we have gone through a lot, as you were saying, and um, but but now I mean, sitting here seven years after, you know, with a with a, a very well established championship, um, with um, uh, a bunch of amazing manufacturers uh, behind us, uh, two three amazing teams as well, uh, with partners. I mean, if anyone tell me seven years ago that we were going to be in this position only six years after, you know, I, I would have thought that they were crazy, uh, to be completely honest. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, it's, a, it's a reason to, to, to be very proud of. Yeah. And one of the things that's been dominating the headlines for the last few weeks and, and even more recently with the, with the livery launch that Mercedes did uh, is the drive for more diversity uh, in motorsport. Um, has Formula E got a plan in place about how they can um, embrace that too? Yeah, we we uh, support any any step of uh, to increase diversity and, and, and support those from underrepresented groups. Uh, that's that's for sure. We are obviously working behind the scenes and um, and for sure we will be sharing uh, we will be sharing our plans in, in due course. Well I look forward to seeing that. Um been a great having you on and a fascinating insight into the uh, Goings on behind the scenes there. Um, wish you and everybody there all the best for uh, for Berlin. Um, you're going to be uh, sick of uh, beer and sausages by the end of it, I imagine. But uh, it'll be great to actually have some uh, racing that we can all get behind and enjoy. Um, thank you for joining us, Alberto. Thank you. We will be missing you for sure. Well, that's uh, that's it for today. Um, as ever, you can catch up uh, with all the latest goings on on the thehyphenrace.com and read uh, all of Sam's news and views from the Formula E paddock. And don't forget to catch up with our other podcast on Formula One, which, of course, is starting this weekend. Thank you very much. Goodbye.